It's official. One Shining Podcast is back, and I am your host, Tate Frazier. And as March Madness begins, we're covering everything from Selection Sunday all the way to the championship and beyond. We're going to have great guests that are coming through on the show. And look, if you're a friend of the program and you're already subscribed, you don't have to do anything. OSP is back. It's going to be right back in your feed. And if you're not a friend of the program and this is your first time on the rodeo, then let me tell you this. You need to go to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts and smash subscribe today because the OSP show is back. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Ringers NBA Draft Show. My name is Kevin O'Connor, and joining me, as always, is the Ringers' Jay Kyle. Man, what's up, man? How you doing today? Doing terrific, Kevin. I'm. Uh, this is a this is a busy buzzing time, isn't it? Do you feel? Mm-hmm. I know I kind of asked you that, but it's just uh, the excitement of March is is bearing down on us, and it's like I just love when there's this fun. There's a lot of overlap for you and I. You know, the NBA stuff's ramping up, but then like there's a lot of prospects and. I'm just I'm anxious to dive in. How how are you doing? Uh, I'm I'm doing excellent today, man. Feeling really good. It's you know the the beginning of March Madness this week. I haven't listened to your latest pod yet with Tate Frazier on One Shining Podcast. You guys talked about a lot with the upcoming tournament. But since this is the draft pod, we're going to be talking tournament. But we're first going to start off with some G League news. We got, heard earlier today on Tuesday that Scoot Henderson of the G League Ignite is being shut down for the remainder of the season. The Igniter are 11-16 this season, 10th place in the Western Conference, four games out of the G League playoffs. It's highly improbable that they're going to make it. Adrian Wojnarowski and Jonathan Gavoni reported on ESPN that Scoot is sitting out the final five games. The G League and him made that decision. Uh, they feel that he has shown enough with his play this season, and there's no point in having him out there any any longer. He's missed half their games already this year. He had a nasal fracture, two separate concussions, an ankle injury as well. Like There's been a lot that Scoot has went through this year, playing only 25 of 50 games so far. So, Kyle, I mean, I feel like, you know, this is kind of a, a no-brainer decision. There's not a lot for him to gain at this point. Yeah, uh, I was going to say that's an odd injury profile, isn't it? I'm trying to think of who else. What an, what other players have had two concussions and a broken nose in a year like that? It seems like a very Pat Bevy sort of. Uh, I can't think of another <laughs> person who's had had a string of injuries like that. Can you? No, I mean it's very strange for sure. That nasal fracture and concussion had him out for quite a while as well. Mid mid season during the you know it was the showcase time of year when he was mm-hmm. out. 
Yeah, and it, with his style of play where he really, pardon the pun, I don't mean it this way, but he really sticks his nose in, in situations. Like he's somebody who's not contact averse. So that is that would be a, a tough situation for him. He's a very tough kid. Um, in terms of like knowing who he is, I think we have enough data, you know, to, to form an opinion. I think the thing that I commented on to you last week is Every once in a while, some of this is nebulous is a word that's kind of come up a lot lately around the draft. Every once in a while, there's that narrative win that you can kind of lick your finger and you can just feel it blowing. You know what I'm talking about? And I just kind of with with Scoop, you and I had the conversation. I've had the pit of my stomach thing that I've been dealing with all year where I'm like just trying to reckon with some of the concerns that I have about him. And I've kind of felt the you know, there's media narratives and then there are team narratives and the things, you know, the stuff that Gavoni was was reporting uh, that this is actually, do you think that they're like running parallel? Do you think that like what's going on in the media in terms of the, of the discussion or how real do you think like the discussion among teams is right now in terms of like his solidity uh, or his like firmness at the number two pick? Do you think that discussion is real? Do you believe oh, it's definitely real. Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of teams that would take Brandon Miller ahead of Scoot Henderson. Uh, and that's what Gavoni, uh, you know, talked about last week where he's saying Brandon Miller is firmly in the mix at the number two selection. That That's the, the way he framed it. And and I believe, you know, he said teams are mixed on Scoot. Decision making hasn't evolved the way they'd hoped for. Defense has just been OK. Not an every game player so. You know, days after this kind of, you know, it's really the first time all year, you know, ESPN has come out and said, maybe Scoot's not the number two pick. Days after that, he's getting shut down. Um, I don't think they're necessarily avoiding him falling any further by shutting him down. I think they're just protecting him at this point. That there's literally nothing to gain playing over the last five games for the G League. They're not going to make the postseason in all likelihood. So I think for, you know, for all of us in the draft com- community and whatnot, like we've when we've we've done our mock drafts, you know, throughout the year, Kyle, we've talked about there are certain teams you're like, if the Pacers move up to number two, are they really taking Scoot Henderson? No. It doesn't with their dynamic of guards, it would be you'd be going in a different direction because you've got a guy who's like super efficient as a pull up shooter, as a passer, and like you can run offense fluidly through him. It would seem like a like a you'd be jutting in a different direction, right? I mean, like I I, I see I don't think you have to imagine too hard like what he with the do. thunder, like you know, like like, yeah. oh, like you know, I mean the like Halliburton, you got him, like uh, you got you got teams that would. I think you Thunder know, doesn't make sense to me. Like I don't I don't, SGA I don't think they already? Could, I don't think they could add another like ball dominant, questionable shooter. And Who I does? Sim- Houston next to Jalen Green. That's the thing, though, man. It's like I, you say that in the abstract, not you, but I mean, just the hypothetical. But then you go and you kind of look at Houston's shooting numbers, and I think you have to ask yourself, like, well, is Houston's ability to like create good shots is is it or like are they just like such an in- incompetent or just such a bad not incompetent maybe not the right word but just they struggle to shoot the ball well and if you throw Scoot in there is he going to suffer from it do you think he would improve it this is me asking you I mean I, I just I worry about it a little bit um, in, in terms of like where he fits there um, and then there's the way the Brandon Miller's been playing lately and I think that those two things kind of pulling against each other my main thing man is like. Over the course of the year, like, the dialogue shouldn't offend people, you know? Like, how much did you change, I'd ask you this. Like, uh, that top three, 
How much did you shift over the course of the year last year? Is that normal for you to like lock in and stay there? Or do you do you find yourself shifting a whole lot over the course of the year with like the top three picks? Well, after my Killian blunder in 2020, I'm more willing to shift than ever before. You know, like I'll shift the day before the draft if I get good intel. That makes me feel like I should change. That year I didn't. That was my boo-boo. You know, and like it would have had him ranked too high anyway. But ultimately, you hear things about LaMelo, you hear things about Ant, and the weeks leading up to the draft, you make the change. So this year, I mean, I think, you know, we talked about Brandon Miller. I was like, oh, top five. One of the first shows we did. Looks like a top five pick in November. You were early on it. Get, yeah. yeah. You like to crow a little bit, KLC. Well, and then And then it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I like him in number three. And then he has some stinkers. And you're like, well, maybe he's more like six or seven. And then over the course of the year, it becomes pretty you know, obvious, you know, at least in my eyes, that he's the third best prospect. And then over the course of the year, you see more Scoot, you see more Brandon Miller, you see Miller improve, you see Scoot kind of stagnate. And it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to shift Miller up to number two. You, you know, you feel like you've been flirting with the idea, whether it's been Amen Thompson or Brandon Miller of moving them ahead of Scoot Henderson. I'm there now where I get Brandon Miller at number two and Scoot Henderson still really love him as a prospect. Just yeah. at number three, it's not. It's almost more so Miller's moved up than it is Scoot's. You know, hurt himself. Yeah, you know? like he's playing against men in the G League, and that's a tough league. And I think overall, his body has changed too. You know, he's more physically imposing now than he was two years ago, a year ago. I'm sure that must affect your shot still. Like when when we're assessing, he's shooting 38 percent on pull up two pointers, below 30 percent from three. I'm sure that affects you a bit. Um, you still hope like he's able to improve those numbers as we've talked as we've talked about throughout his you know season with the G League, and I just feel like it's just a lot harder to find a six foot nine wing who you know can pass the ball, who can score from each level, who has developed the ability to get to the basket and finish against contact, who it hustles and takes charges and you know racks up chase down blocks and has. As he grows into his frame, you project, you know, immense defensive versatility. It's a lot harder to find that guy than Scoot, who is a smaller guard and somebody who, you know, in a league right now is loaded with guards. Uh, I'm I just at the point now where it feels pretty easy to put Brendan Miller ahead of Scoot Henderson at this time. Do you feel similarly at all or are you still kind of, you know, holding Scoot at number two at this time? No, I'm I'm definitely leaning. I mean, I've said it on this show. I'd be I'd be talking out of my ass and lying if I said otherwise. Because you, you could just roll the tape and, and roll it from last week and just listen to what I said. Like, um, I the thing with Scoot, yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I mean, it it is really hard to find. And I, I tweeted this during that Alabama game the other day where they they kicked Missouri's ass. Like, um, it is just really difficult to find guys. It's you, you're going to find guys at 6'9 that can shoot threes at the college level at that age, at like 19, 20 years old. Finding guys that can competently be on ball, run, pick, and roll, the, the addition like we talked about, getting to the rim, things like that. Um, the pull-up shooting upside, it's the, the handle and the passing are the things that really, that really make this special. And for me, whenever you go and you look, and like you said, I agree, it is more Brandon moving up. The, the shooting thing just it continues to worry me. And, and if you you kind of wonder about like what's the precedent for guys improving that are this physically imposing, you can go and look. And I mean, I ran some number kind of profiles to look at this. And it's like he is 
He's probably 6'1", would you say, more than 6'2". I haven't seen like a combine measurement on Scoot, uh, but he has a 6'9 wingspan. Even if he's 6'2", I mean, plus 7 is a big, big wingspan. So he does play a little bigger. Like, I do think that he's strong and he could be like a solid on-ball point of attack nuisance. But if you look at the guys that shoot under like 33, it will be generous, I think. I think it'd be generous. Do you think it's generous to assume he shoots 33% in the NBA from three? At this point, I mean, I still think with him, he's an average free throw shooter this season, 75%. I believe he was closer to 80% last year. Yeah. He's got good touch and kind of that floater range. And last year, his numbers pulling up for mid range were better than they have been this year. I mean, he's had stretches where he's shooting 45, you know, 48% from on pull up twos. There's, there's positive indicators with Scoot that he'll become a good shooter. Yeah. But it just hasn't manifested for him from behind the arc. So, I mean, I feel like we're sometimes you're going to take a guy for what they're showing you. And uh, I think with him, maybe this is just who he's going to be, you know, a below average three point shooter off the catch and off the dribble. Yeah. And the guys that kind of fit that profile that are very physically imposing, that are very fast, that have long, long arms, that if you're at that height, now there's like, there are guys, there are guys in here that surprise you, like Trey Young and Chris Paul both are kind of, less efficient three-point shooters than you would expect, but those are elite decision makers, you know, so they compensate for some of that stuff. Also have middle game, like really consistent. They can spread the floor. Uh, you're at least worried about their three-point shot. You know, I almost feel like the percentages don't don't tell the story, but then there, there are also the guys like, I'm not saying this is who he could be, but like there's Eric Bledsoe, there's Dennis Smith Jr., there's Kyra Lewis. There are these guys who are like score first, I guess my thing, Kevin, is like, and I would ask you, like, I I almost feel like precedent isn't anything that you can really lean on with him. Like, I almost feel like you're you're kind of assuming he's going to be something different than anything really that we've seen, honestly. In my draft guide, I have the comparison of efficient Russell Westbrook. You know, people have compared him to Derrick Rose. Is that a bit much? Is that what you're saying? You know, should we recalibrate expectations for, uh, you know, Best case, Scoot Henderson. Uh, it's tough. I you start to run into the era thing, though. Like you, you, you want to say to yourself, like Derrick Rose, huge compliment. Derrick Rose in 2011, you know, when he won MVP, it's a different league now. You know, like I, I just feel like the demands on that position have shifted. And when people hear me talking about this, I don't want them to like assume that I'm. What demands, to- Kyle? Like real, real quick. What demands do you mean? You mean like teams targeting smaller guards? Like what? Are, what demands are you talking about for the the guard position or smaller guards specifically? Maybe. I just think if you're in the NBA today, if you're going to be a primary facilitator of any kind, you either like if you're bringing the ball up and facing the defense, you're going to need to be a threat to be a pull up shooter, or you're going to create at least things that your team is going to have to think about. Do you agree with that? Totally. Yeah. Or otherwise, you're going to have to be a Sabonis type who's like an elbow initiator where there's not as much pressure on you. And then you have shooters around you. You know, I am uh, I, I'm just telling people just in, we I go through these cycles where I have to kind of set parameters where I'm like being a little negative and kind of it's the it's kind of like the scientific process. Right. Where you're just like trying to I put all, as much doubt as I can in there just to see if I can argue it out. Because, and sometimes I do like I did that. I was worried about Paolo last year. And I kind of worked my back, my way back around to being positive about it. I still think that he's going to be a really good NBA player because he's super competitive. He can pass the ball. He gets to the rim. He cares a lot. I think he's going to get better. Uh, but the upside side of it, Brandon is just showing me things that I feel a lot more like solid on, you know? 
with Brandon Miller, the things that you're solid on, I mean, we mentioned it earlier. It's just everything. It's do-it-all ability. I, I think with Miller, the concerns are, you know, if you're if you're putting red flags on a player, you know, for their talents on the court, with Scoot Henderson, you've talked about all of them, the pull-up shooting, the size on defense. Is he good, you know, maybe great playmaker, but not an elite top-level playmaker? You mentioned Chris Paul earlier. He's not that. With Brandon Miller, it's, you know, it's size. You know, he's lean. Uh, maybe he's a good, not elite defender at some point throughout in his career. Maybe he is a a good but not top-level shot creator. But I don't think they're necessarily negative skills that are detrimental to your team. It's, it's easy to fit him in. Like, you could throw Brandon Miller on any of the 30 teams and you don't have concerns about the lineup you're putting out there on the floor. And that's where, like, you know, when I look back at, you know, 2016, having Ingram over Simmons, I was like, I feel like with Ingram, it's just a lot easier to build with that guy as long mm-hmm. as he becomes at least average as a shooter. Whereas with Simmons, there's always going to be fit issues, yeah. you know, no matter how good he is. And so Simmons had his peak, of course. So, like, you could argue whether that was the, the right or wrong decision to put Ingram ahead of Simmons. But that was kind of the mindset then for me. And I'm thinking about that now when it comes to Miller versus Scoot. Like it's, I think it's hard to, to build with Scoot, especially given the fact that he is smaller and Miller is six foot nine and versatile. And like we've talked about all year long, that dude can pass the ball too. Like Miller, mm-hmm. Miller might not be your primary, your number one initiator, but I, I think he can be like one of your top initiators. Um, you know, he can run pick and roll. He's a, he has good vision. He's a willing passer. And, you know, we've talked about DHOs and the concept of, you know, different players in that position. I still wonder about Miller and that type of role at the next level as well. Like, what happens if you put Miller at 6'9 at the elbow and kind of just let him pick apart defenses from the mid-range hmm. area? You think he's strong enough to do that? Do you think I, I'm uh, just devil's advocate? I'm kind of... I don't know. I'm just thinking yeah. positional, you know, positionless basketball. I'm just curious. <laughs> I'd just like to see a team try it out because mid-range is where he feasted most at the high school level. It's just not part of Alabama's offense. You know, they're very analytically friendly. That's mm-hmm. the way they want to play. So... I'm just curious about stuff like that with Miller. Like, what are the untapped skills that an NBA offense could unleash, um, depending on what his supporting cast looks like uh, compared to what the demands are for him with Alabama? Yeah, I could see. I could even see teams running. I mean, he can run off screens because we've seen that his shot is mobile and you can speed it up. I expect it to get even more versatile in that sense. We know he can come off of pin downs and hit threes. I wonder what kind of screen setter he's going to be. Um, in transition, we've seen he's just a monster shooter, monster. Uh, and yeah, I don't think there's going to be tremendous pressure on him. I kind of did. You have Danny Granger at all in your in your shades up for him? No, that's a good one though. That is a good one. I like yeah. Granger. Kind of forgotten guy yeah. a little yeah. bit. Granger's know? peak was really good. It Who did was. I have Granger compared to in a recent draft? I had Granger as as a comp for somebody. I, I, it escapes me at the moment. Danny Chow had Granger and Tatum mixed matched up. I remember he's he okay. saw them as 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 comps. I'm kind of I'm just kind of trying to fill out. I'm, I'm picturing one of those like Christian Linnaeus like uh, <laughs> like Animal Kingdom charts where I like put them into like little. I always think of phylums like that. It's kind of they're just in that vague kind of area. I don't know that he ever re- could become like the the level of passer as somebody like uh, even KD is a pretty good passer. Um, I don't know. I, those are the guys that I really, really value the most. Um, but I, I just uh, that that for me is where I am with with Miller is I'm trying to d- like dial in that ceiling. I asked you about 
Tatum and PG last week. And I'm, I'm excited to kind of dive in and, and sharpen those things and sharpen with Scoot too. Like the, the, the discussion isn't over. I may come back here a couple, like a month from now and, and decided I've changed my mind because it's an ongoing thing, Kev. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Three great words, free fries Friday, especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Bell one time on Fridays at participating McDonald's through 1231.24 excludes tax must opt into rewards. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Let's pivot here to March Madness itself. Alabama is a one seed led by Brandon Miller. And the ringers, you know, of March Madness brackets that are being posted. Did you fill one out for that, Kyle? Uh, yeah, I did. Brackets? Okay, I, I got Alabama winning it. How about yourself? Alabama over Houston is what I selected. Two one seeds, not the most, <laughs> not, not a lot of upsets there, but. Yeah, whenever you do that, you kind of think to yourself, oh, I'm being stupid, but I mean, it does happen. I mean, we have like pretty close to chalk Final Four. You, I mean, we could have total carnage everywhere else and then in the one seed still make it. I'd Bama winning it too. I've Bama and Kansas in the title game. I feel like that I would like be it. a super fun title game. I would love to see that. Um, and I actually have Bama winning it as well. I just think they have a lot of balance and they have a lot of weapons. And they have, like we've talked about, they have room protection and size and depth. Um, they could go down. But I just think they're so versatile. I think they're going to, I, I kind of feel like this could be like a big blowout tournament for them. Like I could see them. Really? I could see them. I mean, I could maybe not in the title game. And I'm just saying like, I, I'm envisioning them like kind of kicking the crap out of some people, like totally. up some big margins. Yeah. I mean, they, they, like you said, they have versatility. They can play with two bigs and Miller at the three, or they can put Clowney at the five. They, they have quality play across positions. Um, there's a reason why they're, I don't know if they're the betting favorite, um, but they are one of the favorites indeed. Kyle, in, in our, we were talking before the show and you, and you said, what's the best title game, you know, through the lens of scouting? And you noted how Florida and Ohio State in 07 had Greg Oden, Mike Conley, Noah Horford, Corey Brewer. I mean, there's a lot of NBA talent on the floor in that title game. You, like Kansas, Alabama would be really great for that. Uh, so would Alabama Houston, as I have. Like, are there any other matchups, you know, over the course of either in the title game or over the course of the tournament that 
you're like, ah, I really, I really hope we see this from a scouting perspective, not just an entertainment perspective, but for scouting purposes. That's what this pod is for, Kyle. It's for the draft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, do you remember that 07 Florida, um, Ohio State title Vag- game? Did vaguely. you watch that? I mean, yeah. I remember it, but I don't, I'm not like super visual with, with memories of games like that. That was a very fun one. I was going to say like probably the best one all time. I would have to say is probably 82 because you had three Hall of Famers in there with James Worthy, Sam Perkins, Jordan and Ewing or uh, or Hakeem Ewing. Those are just to, just to name a couple. My favorite all time is the 99 UConn Duke game. That game was awesome. Anyway, for our purposes today. Yeah, just looking at like some matchups that I would like to see. There are a ton all across the board. Um, UConn and UCLA, I think, would be really fun because I think I honestly feel like that would be a good game to get a better feel for Jordan Hawkins. Uh, UCLA, they lost their best perimeter defender in Jalen Clark. I think yeah, that would have been a fun. Sucks. It would have been a, a fun matchup. I, I assume that's who he would be guarding. Uh, Sonogo versus Bona would be pretty fun. Um, I have kind of just come to love Sonogo. <laughs> I just like to watch him play. He surprises you with how, like, whenever you see those big, burly, strong guys, you don't expect. He just surprises me with some of the, like, crafty, like, you know, just like he makes some passes sometimes. I'm like, okay, I didn't, uh, you know, you kind of, underestimate guys, I guess, sometimes in that sense. And Andre, Andre Jackson, Jackson on the UConn? Oh, yeah, there we yeah. go. <laughs> Andre Jackson and Jaime Jaquez, I think, would oh, be a be really nice. fun matchup. Well, I would love that one for sure. And with UCLA, it is it is a shame they've had injuries, but I, I feel like they still have the bodies to make a long run, at least Sweet 16. I think so. Yeah, I, I think with them, they do. I mean, and looking at my bracket, they do run into Gonzaga. UConn, that would be Elite Eight if they were able to match up. That would be sweet if we get that. And as you said up top, Kyle, I think with Jordan Hawkins, this is like everybody knows him as a pure shooter. Like he has an effortless shot from outside. He has some some possessions this year where he attacks closeouts, finishes loudly at the rim. This feels like a tournament for him to to show off other layers of his game and either completely lock in his status as a first-round pick or even increase his stock further uh, as a guy who, what's the most important skill in the NBA right now? It's It's shooting on the offensive yeah. end, versatility on defense. And for Jordan Hawkins, I think this is a big opportunity for him to do that. Uh, any other games uh, that you're hoping to see in the tournament, Kyle? I mentioned this on the pod with Tate, uh, but overall, just like the West region, I feel like just has a crazy amount of perimeter talent in it. If you th- if you look at the big wings that Kansas have, if you look at Arkansas in there, yeah. that group of guys that it's we've true. talked about over the course of the year with Anthony Black and Nick Smith and Council and all of those guys. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, you go down and, and Gonzaga, I just, I, I think that's a fun one. Uh, one of the, one of the matchups that people are all over, and I kind of think that's why it won't be an upset because, you know, it's kind of like whenever people get the scent, it like doesn't happen. Sometimes it does, but I, I like Duke Oral Roberts. First round, right? Yeah. I was talking with our buddy Sam Bassini about this, that like the pick and roll, you want to talk about a pick and roll test? For Derek Lives, Derek Lively against uh, Max A. Smith, that's going to be a good one. He is just a like a jitterbug, really quick score in the mid range. We saw what he did a couple years ago in the tournament against Ohio State. He can put up points in bunches. He reminds me of a guy that played for Moorhead State way back in the day. You won't remember this guy, but Ricky Menard, just a really, really, really twitchy, quick, fast score. Um, are you excited to see that one? Uh, that is a very good one for Lively, especially given his progress over the course of the season. Uh, I, I think for him, 
you 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 hope do because a five seed wins that. I mean, it would be a major upset if they don't. Um, but individually, regardless of the results of that game, that that's one to watch. And you have you know Baylor as well. I think if they get past UC Santa Barbara in the first round, their path is pretty interesting. They get NC State or Creighton. Then they could potentially run into Arizona, a team that a lot of people are selecting the win and all. I believe Tate had Arizona winning in on his bracket. They could have oh. Alabama in the Elite Eight. Like that's that's a good test for Keontae George each step of the way, uh, every round. A lot of good matchups there. So that's something I'm watching too because I like Keontae George a lot. You know, like we just talked about with Scoot Henderson, smaller guards. You know. Still have your hesitations there, no matter how much grit a guy plays with them on defense, no matter how much intensity they have, there's still like limitations to what you can be. And he also needs to prove his offensive efficiency. This is going to be the best run of the year for him to prove that, hey, at a high, playing at a high level against teams that are game plan and on the biggest stage, I can carry this offense when necessary. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm excited to see that for him. I was, um, I have this feeling though, man, you mentioned Duke. I wanted to say one more thing about that for Keontae. Um, Duke is just really hot right now. If you look in the last 10 games, according to CBB Analytics, great website, uh, their net rating is 97th percentile, dude. They are playing really, really well, offensive rating and defensive rating. Uh, they're doing they're doing enough both directions, and they're very deliberate, and they're going to slow people down. Baylor, I wonder, honestly, about... They have just laid so many eggs, honestly, man. They've They've... I just don't trust them anymore, you know? It do, it doesn't feel like the last couple Baylor teams where I was just like these dudes are just unkillable. Like they they're just going to keep coming. I don't I don't know if I trust the fortitude as much. Uh, uh, what do you, what do you think do you feel the same way? What do you think that's the where is that coming from? I guess it's coming from the results, but I don't know. I just had a hard time picking them going far. In my bracket, I had Baylor uh, I mean, I have them getting to Arizona just because I, I think their draw is pretty favorable. You did you? I forget. Did you say you have them getting past Arizona or not? I have them getting past Arizona. Just throw in an upset, <laughs> but I Don't mean laugh. the confidence level on that is low, right? Don't laugh, man. I mean, uh, anybody happens. that laughs at a bracket, man, I, you I don't, know. you never know what's going to happen. Throwing with this some stuff. in, there. I had Marquette in my final four. <laughs> I have Marquette in my final. Oh, you did really? Oh, yeah. I think they can get who, out who, of that. Who are the NBA prospects on Marquette, Kyle? Anybody that people should be watching for if Marquette makes a run? Marquette has a lot of just smart players. They play like a really fun, up tempo style. I think that teams and, and they're they're able to play inside out or outside in. And I don't necessarily mean like feed it to a post guy. They do have a couple guys that can get on the block and do that. But their their distribution is pretty spread out. Tyler Kolick is whether his status as like a prospect, I'm not sure, but he's one of the smarter players. If you want to like think about some of the, he kind of reminds me of some of those like Ty Jerome type guys, like they're really savvy, um, smart decision makers, creative passers. Um, Tyler Kolick is a guy who shoots the ball pretty well. Um, my favorite player on that team, actually, though, is a guy named Oso Igadaro. Um, he's a 6'9 kid. He doesn't shoot the ball at all. Never taken a three in college, right? Yes. Honestly, man, he's kind of, I think I, I was thinking about him kind of laying him out against like Trace Jackson Davis, like how they're similar. He's not as aggressive as like an ISO post score guy, but he's like definitely like a, he's a, a disruptive defender. He has a really high block percentage. He has a, a really high assist usage. Um, so he's a guy that can pass the ball and he's switchable. I'm not sure about his NBA upside. He's honestly kind of a, I, I don't know how to even phrase, how to say this or if it'll be ridiculous. 
he's kind of like a college Ben Simmons, honestly. Like uh-huh. he, he does, he does a lot. He gives you a lot of kind of like backdoor cuts, which Marquette really just, if you're a team that doesn't communicate well, Marquette is going to put some points on you, man. Like I personally, I don't want Kentucky to play Marquette because I think they'll kick the shit out of him. When we're talking about guys like him, these, you know, names that aren't getting mentioned a lot as lottery picks or even first round picks, the, the tournament's kind of a good time to figure out, are these guys the real deal? Uh, are they legit? Or are they kind of just, you know, eh, nice college players, but maybe you give them a chance as an undrafted free agent, but, you know, you don't have a lot of expectations for them entering the league. Who, who are some other guys that people should be watching over this opening weekend um, across the tournament that have a chance to make it in the NBA or guys that you're monitoring to figure out how legit they are? I'm glad you phrased it that way because I, I think, I do like the big stage thing. We've talked about that before. Like, can guy when guys shrink from the moment, you know, it doesn't mean you write them off. Like, you know, Wendell Carter Jr. had a weird moment in one of the regional finals a couple of years ago. It doesn't mean that they're done and things happen, but it can elevate someone that I, I'll, I'll put it this way. For me, it can elevate somebody that I'm confident about. It, I, it's like an extra thing to sprinkle over them. I don't think it's like a like you know a thing that damns them totally as a prospect. Does that make any sense? Like it's just like an extra little, an extra little uh, confirmation thing for me. Totally does make sense to me. Yeah, one of the guys that I really like is Kobe Brown from Missouri. Uh, Kobe Brown is a six-seven senior. These guys average fifteen point eight points per game, two and a half assists, six point three rebounds, and he shot the ball. He shoots the ball really well. He's had a huge uptake in his shooting percentage, um, so you can kind of decide how confident you are about that. But he's forty-four point seven percent from three. Um, he does a little bit of everything for Missouri. Uh, I was t- I was saying this to Tate that like. He'll get the ball off the rebound and push it in transition and attack the rim. He's really physical. Um, he can. He's a good screener. He's just shown flashes that he can flip the floor as a passer. Um, I kind of get like George Niang vibes from him sometimes. Um, he's not like the greatest athlete in the world, but he's really aggressive. Um, yeah, that uh, Niang is somebody that comes to mind. My only kind of thing is... I wonder about him against like elite size and length. He struggled in a couple of their games this year. Like he didn't have a great game against Auburn. I don't know if that, how much of that was that like, uh, like I mentioned that he, he got kicked in the head in the game uh, if he was feeling crappy. Um, I like Kobe Brown. Are you going to be keeping your eye on the NIT at all? Or, or are you just, I know you're flying out to LA on Wednesday. You're going to be with Tate and you guys are going to be up at 9 a.m. in the morning Thursday watching <laughs> the NCAA tournament. Uh, but are you able to keep another eye? You have eyes in the back of your head or something? Or is that something you save for for Synergy Sports when it comes time to to watch Santa Clara? There's only so many live <laughs> there's only so many live things. You and I know this covering college and the NBA. It's uh as much as we can, you know, it's like uh probably gonna be doing some catching up on the NBC. Yes. Maybe maybe I'll catch one in passing. They will yeah. be catching up of games that are played on Thursday and Friday and this weekend because there's so many on. That's what makes it so absolutely unbelievable to enjoy every year. Oh yeah, man. I mean, it's it's a it, I always electric is the word that I've used over and over again. I mean, I hope that it's chaos. I hope we don't just have a chalk first round, but there's nothing like it, man. Mm-hmm. It really isn't. I mean, it's just one after another after another after another. Um, I don't know. I, I I miss being in high school. Whenever we would have like a roll, we would you. I don't know if you all did this up in Massachusetts, but like we 
we're so eaten up with college basketball down here that they would like roll the AV card into the classroom and no, uh, and never we would watch games. No. <laughs> Pete, Boston College, like the Jared Dudley days were, you know, the closest people came in my area caring about a local college team. That's wild to me. Well, UConn too, of course. But you, I'm in Massachusetts. They're Connecticut. I'm talking about the Boston sports teams. They didn't root you know? for Connecticut up there. They, no. uh, yeah, mean, people, sure people a- no, not really, no. People cared a little bit, but it's not like people were hardcore about UConn. Yeah, I, I would assume. Yeah, I assume they wouldn't be big on them. But yeah, that, we'll catch. We're going to try to go somewhere with a bunch of screens so we can catch. That's always my setup. It's just every available screen. You know, my my phone will be set up. Well, Kyle, I'm I'm really looking forward to the tournament, and uh, maybe we'll see each other in LA. I hope we do, man. Let's get some dinner or something or whatever. Well, I'll go hang out with you and Tay at some point. We'll you come find games. me. Yeah, I'll yeah. find you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to it, man. Have a good, safe travels tomorrow, Kyle. See you in LA. Yeah, man. See you soon. Thank you so much to Jesse Lopez for producing today's episode of the Ringers NBA Draft Show. Thank you for listening. Hope you have a great rest of your week. Enjoy the tournament.